Hello, everybody, and welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero, and uh, we got we got some games today. We got you know these are these are all right, I guess. I uh, you know I would I would say that these games for the most part were kind of a lightly pleasant surprise to me. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, they're they're interesting if nothing else. Uh, so yeah, how have you been doing? I've been doing fine. Um, you know, we're we're still rolling through the early parts of summer, as they say. Uh, summer doesn't really start in the Pacific Northwest until July fifth, so you know, still been kind of cold and rainy here. We had a little bit of a heat wave back in like April or May. I feel like this happens every year. We get like a heat wave around April or May, where it's like getting up into like the the eighties or something. Wait, like we haven't even had a day of 70 degree weather yet. And it's already up in the eighties. And yeah, I'm just right, like, Oh my right, God, yeah. I'm dying. The summer is going to be horrible. But then it cools off again. And then like all through May and June, it's just kind of cool and rainy and it's, it's kind of all right. And then it just smacks you in the face with that heat. Yeah. When you get it. So, uh, yeah, not really looking forward to that too terribly much. I have to admit, but otherwise cops are still bad. We're still, we're still thinking about that. Yep. Yeah, still uh, a lot of things are opening up, although um, I'm trying to not go out very much because uh, same here. Things should not be opening up right now. I'll just be honest. Yeah, no. Um, Those numbers are not going down. Do not be fooled, folks. Um, What are you going to do? I guess we're going to play some Super Nintendo games. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. So the way it is on the list here, it's Captain Novelin, Best of the Best, and Firepower. Do you feel okay about that, or do you want to do you want to put Captain Novelin last? Let's save the best for last. Yeah. All right. We're gonna have we're gonna save the the best for last, which means the best of the best is gonna be first. And that's it's, right. It's, it's not the best. We're still here in uh, November 1992, and our first game up is going to be Best of the Best Championship Karate. Don't get it twisted. It's Championship Karate, not Karate Championship, which is how I've been thinking of it in my brain every time I think about this title before actually reading it. I don't think anything these people are doing is really like karate. I think it's mostly kickboxing yeah, and taekwondo and maybe is. like some Muay Thai. Yeah, so the Japanese name for this game references kickboxing and not karate, which this isn't a a Japanese game, so I don't know why we have that confusion, right? I guess because Japan is where karate comes from, and they're like, you can't just call anything that's punching and kicking karate, okay? You can't just... Like, the same way we just called video games Nintendo back in the day, we just called fighting karate back in the day. Like, anybody doing any kind of fighting, it was just... Unless you were boxing or wrestling, you were doing karate. Right. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Um, So, what's going on with this game? Who made this? Where does it come from? All right. So, this game comes to us from publisher Electrobrain, who's published a lot of titles in the U.S. that came from other places, mostly Japan and Europe. Best of the Best comes from Europe. Uh, Specifically, this comes from French developer Lorciel. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Hopefully, I am. Lorciel, I believe, uh, self Maybe self-published this game in Europe? I'm not, I'm not actually sure about that. But they definitely let other companies handle the publishing duties in other regions. Lorciel was a pretty prominent developer in its home region with a surprising amount of games under its belt. A lot of stuff for microcomputers, right? And personal computers. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> they were founded in 1983. The company would churn out over 80 games, if Moby Games is to be believed, Ooh. before the end of that decade. 80 games in like seven years. That's... A lot. And because we love discussing platforms that I had not heard of before doing the research for the games, let's uh, talk about the Auric line of computers, shall we? Let's. Ever heard of Auric? I, I, I believe I have not, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, not to be confused with the vacuum cleaners. Uh, this is Auric spelled O R I C. They were a product of the short lived UK based comp- uh, microcomputer company, Tangerine Computer Systems, which is an adorable name. That's delicious. I would love a tangerine. According to an article about the company on the Abandonware France website, the company cut its teeth making games for that particular computer. And it sounds like, you know, they, they really owe their early success to the Auric. Um, they also released games on, the, uh, including this one, 
on the Thomson MO and Thomson TO computers, which were products of French multimedia conglomerate Thomson, which has a very long and storied history that I'm afraid I'm going to have to declare outside of the scope of this podcast. Anyway, getting back to uh, Laura Seal, the company managed to release a staggering amount of products in the 80s, like I said, but by the 90s, they weren't doing all that great. I can only speculate as to the reason for that, but uh, as dedicated video game consoles became huge business worldwide, Lorciel's gameography would suggest that they weren't too quick to take the plunge into those waters themselves. And again, just my own opinion, maybe that's what sort of held them back. If you look at like the history of regions where microcomputers were sort of like the main thing that people played games on. Once the transition to most people playing games on consoles happened, particularly this 16-bit transition, you know, you do see a lot of developers kind of go away because they just could not keep up with the economics needed to, you know, employ enough people, work with the hardware well enough to be able to to actually make games that would that would be competitive for these newer systems. That could well have been what happened with Lorciel. Yeah, and part of that might have been the fault of Nintendo as well, who, you know, it's it's very well known they were not great for third parties. Third parties had to assume a lot of the risk when putting out games on the system. They would usually have to pre-purchase their own cartridges from Nintendo to get games released on the system, and Nintendo had a, you know, usually demanded companies order a lot of cartridges, sometimes enough that that would have been prohibitively expensive for a lot of smaller companies. So the company did release a couple of games on consoles, but they quickly went into debt, and by 1994, those debts caught up with them. Uh, the company was forced to shut down. Ironically, their final game was a SNES exclusive called Tommy Moe's Winter Extreme Skiing and Snowboarding, a game that I'm fairly certain did come out in the U.S. and that we will get into it eventually. Right. So, So I guess we will talk about Best of the Best Championship Karate. Yeah. One of the few games that Lorisel made that did make that leap from uh, computers to consoles in late 1992. Uh, this game actually came out on a lot of things, and all of those versions came out in 1992, including some platforms that were getting pretty long in the tooth by then. Uh, this game came out on the NES and on the Amstrad Color Personal Computer, which had been discontinued two years prior. So, Oh, wow. Okay. It is a one-on-one -on -one kickboxing game with somewhat st standard fighting control. Well, not really, but we'll, we'll get to it. This game has a heavy focus on realistic fighting competitions more than being fighting video games. Yeah. Uh, no fireball throwing or uppercuts here. It's all just really straightforward martial arts moves. Well, and also that ties in, I think, pretty heavily to this game's extremely heavy focus on uh, the animation, like the realistic. I think I didn't read this, but I, I would assume rotoscoped animation for for all of the moves because everything flows together really well and looks very realistic like there's very rarely do you see something and think like that's not really something that a human body can do yeah um all of the moves have a lot of frames of animation to them a lot more than like street fighter 2 would have you know and, and that, that comes at a you know at the cost of there not being multiple characters in, in any real sense. Like all of the characters have yeah. a similar look and the exact same move set. When you're kind of selecting your character, you can you can select a few different characters to play as, but really all this does is on the character select screen change the head of the character you're you're going to be playing as. And none of that really comes through in any meaningful way in the gameplay. The character you're playing as still looks more or less the same, and the moves and the, the feel of, of playing as them doesn't really vary at all from character to character. Also, when picking different characters on that screen, it it's kind of hilarious how the head changes and the body does not in any way at all. It's really funny. Like, for a game with, frankly, very nice presentation that is, like, the cheapest looking, like, it looks like something from, like, like it looks like a sticker has been placed <laughs> over the head area of the character. Like, 
practically none of them look like natural on on this character body the overall presentation of the game isn't terrible when you're actually fighting the ring looks kind of cool you're seeing it from kind of a dramatic angle where it looks like you were looking at the ring from within the crowd with like uh not really animated but you know big graphics of of the surrounding you know members of the crowd looking up at the ring and yeah there's a, a kind of portly referee who's very well animated there's some people kind of popping up in the background uh everything's very bright and colorful and like i said before the animation for the boxers themselves is extremely smooth one thing that i do really like about the presentation of this is that the health bars for both characters are displayed as the lighting rigs for you know the arena they look like they're just part of the background basically but the lights there's there's a set of five lights on the left and a set of five lights on the right there are five lights <laughs> that that kind of blink off as a character loses more health i've never seen a fighting game with diegetic life bars before yeah i thought it was a really neat thing too it's kind of subtle i almost didn't realize at first that that was what was happening until i i kind of took a look at it and was like wait, why are those lights out? And then it kind of dawned on me like, oh, oh, that's the health bar. That's that's really clever. It's something that also translates to the Kumite arena, which you can get to if you win enough fights to be invited to participate in the Kumite and you accept. You get a, a second arena uh, when you're doing that. The characters change a little bit. There's no pads on their hands and feet anymore. This is just a all-out fight club style thing. And uh, the health bars are represented by torches in the background rather than a lighting rig. So I, I'm not really sure what exactly the win condition is. I think you have to keep fighting through all the fighters. Like you have to beat the fighter who's, you know, been sort of marked as the best one at this current time, which is denoted by how much they've won in martial arts competitions. What seems to be, sort of the gist of things. Um, I've tried kind of figuring things out. There's not really a, a fact for this game. There was just kind of like a little hints uh, document that wasn't all that well fleshed out on game facts saying that, uh, you know, there, I guess you can join the Kumite if you want to. And uh, the stakes are a little bit higher when you do that. Like if you lose, maybe you drop in the standings more than you would. Otherwise, I'm not entirely sure how all that works. You can also go to the gym to sort of up your stats. And that's kind of the best way to work your way up. Like if you try to challenge a fighter who's too much out of your league, they will just refuse the fight and you you won't be allowed to fight them yet. The gym was a little bit weird. Like it starts out with just sort of a sparring uh, sort of section that plays more or less just like the regular game does. Then it moves on to a heavy bag, which I assumed I was just going to do my regular moves against the heavy bag now. No, it's actually like a Mortal Kombat test your might sort of mini game where you just have to mash the B button. Oh, interesting. Blocking pads are the, the final thing that you have to do. Different pads will come out, either high, medium, or low, and you have to use a, a kick, again, which is just mapped to up, right, and down on the D-pad. That's supposed to uh, improve your reflexes. So as you do all of that, your stats go up, and then you can fight better and better opponents. Here's where we get into what I think is the biggest problem with this game, is the way it controls. It's really complex, and while I, I respect what they were trying to do here, I don't think this works. No, I, I agree. There are 55 different moves, punches and kicks that you have available to you. And you're going to map 13 of those to different buttons. But the buttons that you're mapping your moves to are up and then uh, the two diagonal directions uh, facing up. And I think two diagonal directions facing down but not down itself that's very confusing yeah and then all of the directional positions on the d-pad while holding down b so if i did my math right here that should total 13 it, it's a really awkward way to do attacks i feel like with games like street fighter already being out in the wild by this point Maybe using more of the buttons on the controller would have been a better idea, like mapping attacks to all four of the face buttons. And then, you know, to give you more variety, maybe like holding up or holding uh, toward your opponent while hitting those buttons would have been a better way to go. And also, like, because you can map any move to any button that you want, any button that's available, 
it just seems like it would be really, really difficult to find just the right combination of moves that you want. So this is a game that effectively wants to work like a fighting game, obviously more realistic than something like Street Fighter, but it wants to achieve the same ends as as something like Street Fighter, obviously. And the fact that it, it is designed in a way that, that doesn't take into account any of the ideas that other developers have come up with that sort of work more effectively than this means that it is trying to come up with something that is is very, very different. And that can be kind of admirable, but what you end up with here is something that it has sort of like the the realism and, you know, something like you might hope to see in, you know, like a, a boxing game or a game where you you are trying to to very realistically model any other kind of hand to hand combat sport, but without a really good sense of of how to do all the things you would do in the ring, you're kind of picking and choosing in this. It doesn't really work. It doesn't have the immediacy and snap of a traditional fighting game, but it also doesn't really have kind of the verisimilitude of something that is a more realistic depiction of of a of a hand to hand combat sport. So. It's it's kind of frustrating to play, honestly. And and like you said, the fact that you're picking and choosing 13 moves out of the vast array of them means that it's, it's pretty easy to kind of just end up with something that doesn't work very well at all. Yeah, I feel like if they had maybe taken the approach that like Nintendo takes with the Smash Brothers Mii Fighters, where, you know, you have different moves that you can map, but like the move that you're going to map to this button is always going to be like, let's say for example, a kick and you know, like maybe you've got two kicks available to you and you can decide, okay, do I want like one heavy kick, one light kick? You know, do I want my light kick to maybe be a little bit more aggressive, but it's going to take a little bit longer to come out, you know, trying to make those kinds of decisions and balance it that way. I think that would lead to a fighting game. That's a lot easier to pick up and play than this one is. I, I just think the way that this controls is just kind of a mess and, uh, you know, again, while I kind of respect what it's doing here, I just can't recommend this because it's it's really hard to play. You'd really have to be in the mood to sink a lot of time just kind of tweaking the controls to work for you and really getting a handle on this. And I, I just can't imagine anybody really wanting to spend time on a game like this doing that when you've got so many great fighting games out there that you can just pick up and play. Well, having said all that, should we head over to the list? I think we should, yeah. We don't have a ton of fighting games on here. Like, I think this is worlds better than Pit Fighter down at number 112. Oh, of course, yeah. The best point of comparison would be, like, one of these boxing games that we've got here. Like, we got George Foreman at 98. Probably. Um, what was the other boxing game that we had? Super TKO Boxing at 95. I'm going to say, even though I don't really remember a ton about Super TKO Boxing, I feel like this game makes a stronger positive impression on me than that one did. Best of the best does, you think so? You know, I... I appreciate what it's trying to do to a degree that, you know, makes me think a little more fondly of it. But I I will say I still I didn't really have very much fun playing this game. And I think that it has some sort of counterintuitive design decisions and not a ton of content, frankly. What are you thinking? You're you're it sounds like you're thinking that Super TKO Boxing was was actually maybe a better game. Again, it was a very forgetful game. Obviously, I, I don't remember a lot of it as well. The big thing I remember was. The boxing seemed okay, like you know, just kind of walking around and punching. The frustrating thing was like maybe being on the same plane or being on the right plane that you could actually make contact with your opponent, and you know, which is still an issue here, although I feel like it has more to do with just like you have to be more mindful of the distance between you and your opponent. Like if you guys are too close, your punches are just going to swing right through them. It feels like a much more deliberate thing than just, you know, bad collision. I'll be honest, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe this one goes below Skulljagger right behind it at number 96. I, I definitely wouldn't put it above Zardion at 94, and I don't think I would put it below Home Alone 2 at 97. So we're right in there then, right? Right in, you know. I, I don't know if I would give this one the edge over TKO Championship Boxing, though. I, I mean, that's fair. It is more playable than this, I think it's fair to say. Would you be up for putting this between... Between Super TKO Boxing and Skulljagger. I think I can be on board with this. I can go between TKO and Skulljagger, yeah. All right, so uh, congratulations. Best of the best. You are in our, our new 96 game. You know what's weird is that there will come a day when, when being placed at number 96 isn't that bad. <laughs> 
No, it's true. It's true. I mean, if you look down at like all the stuff that's post 100 now, being in the 90s isn't as much of an embarrassment as it used to be, certainly. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, my condolences and also congratulations. Best of the best karate championship. Well, I guess we are going to move on now. Uh, we are, we're done with the karate. It's time to just uh, get in that tank and start shooting people. Let's break out the firepower, firepower 2000, that is. Or uh, as it's known in other regions and on other systems, SWIV, which means Special Weapons 4, which is what's on the little hanger that the things come out of at the beginning of the game. It, it It also apparently stands for, in the instruction manuals for certain versions of that, Special Weapons Interception Vehicle. I think. Okay, maybe that's just what it is. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it's weird. There's there's a weird legacy to, to the naming of this game, actually. I'm sure you'll talk about that, but yeah. Actually, I'm not sure I do, so if you know something about that, please feel free to chime in. But but go ahead and tell us who, who made this game. Okay, so um, I'm not going to talk too much about publisher Sunsoft today. We're going to focus instead on uh-huh. developer Psy Games. Uh, it's SCI Games, founded in 1988 by Jane Cavanaugh, a woman-led game dev studio. Woo! Yeah. Uh, the original name of this company was Sales Curve, which is where the SC and Psy comes from. Uh-huh. Uh, this company is based in England, I think in London. I'm not entirely sure about that. Uh, they renamed the company Psy um, Games short for Sales Curve Interactive sometime in the early 90s. Possibly because they realized that Sales Curve was the least fun-sounding name for a video game company you could possibly have. Sales Curve had done a port, basically, of a Tecmo game called Silkworm. And Silkworm was a game. Uh, it was actually, I, I believe it was a side-scrolling game, but it was a, a shooter where you could control either a tank or a helicopter in these kind of scrolling shooter levels and it was pretty successful for them and then they ended up making this game SWIV or SW4 possibly that uh seems to bear a resemblance to to Silkworm uh without actually literally being a sequel to it but the instruction manuals for the game for the versions of the game called SWIV mention both the special weapon uh interception vehicles as the names of this and also as and also calls them the silkworm squad interesting so uh the sw could stand for what i said it could or it could also stand for silkworm so okay kind of like an off the books an unlicensed sequel spiritual successor to to silkworm basically Uh, they did some other ports on popular games like Double Dragon 3. Their output also consisted of games that were uh, that will probably sound familiar to some folks, but that weren't blockbusters by any metric. They're responsible for games like the Super Aquatic Games, NARC, and the Carmageddon series. Uh, they also did a number of licensed games like Star Trek Pinball for DOS. <laughs> wow. Okay, I've never heard of that one. Um, so despite the somewhat lacking resume, Psy Games rose to prominence and eventually had the capital to acquire IDOS, the company behind Tomb Raider. Remember, we talked about them a little bit last week as well. We did, yes. <laughs> they took over the company in 2005 and would soon thereafter uh, grow to be the largest video game company in Great Britain. While the Psy name would stick around, they would exclusively used the IDOS brand on all of their games after that. So uh, the merger effectively ended Psy as a video game brand, and uh, Kavanaugh would step down from her position as CEO in 2008 following several failed attempts from outside investors to take over the company. And a year after that, IDOS would come under the Square Enix umbrella, and the Psy name was pretty much scrubbed entirely at that point. That's kind of the size story. Kind of a, a shame that it ended that way, but they made a, you know really a lot of games that uh, that that I'm I'm surprisingly pretty familiar with. So, shall we talk Firepower 2000? Yeah, it's a shooter. <laughs> yep, it's another shooter. This is a vertically scrolling shooter, but it's actually a little bit different from your standard shooter. First of all, it's got two player co op, which is not something every game in this genre has at this point. Um, 
And not only that, but the second player controls a completely different kind of vehicle, uh, like you alluded to earlier. Uh, the first player will play as a tank, and the second player will play as a helicopter. And each vehicle has its own set of advantages and disadvantages over each other. Yeah, they're completely different. It's a really interesting setup that I don't really think I've seen anywhere else. The helicopter controls really exactly as you would expect a, a vehicle in a vertically scrolling shooter to... Uh, to, to control, but yeah, the tank, it, it can go in any direction it wants uh, as the screen continues to scroll forward. It can shoot in any direction it wants. It has multiple different weapons and a jump that needs to be used to get over uh, sort of hazards in the, the environment. And yeah, um, I'm kind of mixed on how this actually works, but I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I definitely like the sort of asymmetrical co-op that's going on here. The helicopter, for example, has to be more mindful of airborne enemies. If it collides with any of them, then you lose a life. But the tank doesn't necessarily have to worry about that. Uh, Unless an aircraft is actually firing at you, it's actually completely harmless to the tank. It'll just fly right over them. But yeah, like you said, the tank can fire in different directions and the helicopter can't, which is a blessing and a curse for the tank because this game does not feature dual stick controls like, say, Smash TV did. And that makes firing in the tank a real pain. Uh, Basically, the tank will fire in whatever direction you are facing at the time. Holding down the fire button will keep the tank firing in the same direction that it initially started firing in, so at least you can do that. As a result, I just found myself firing forward and never letting go of the fire button so that I didn't have to change direction. Yeah, I did the same thing. I never really utilized the tank's ability to fire in other directions. Yeah, it's a shame because the tank has some pretty good weapons. It has a flamethrower, it has kind of a scatter beam in addition to the the sort of regular rockets that are its its basic weapon. And those are all pretty fun to use, but it is not really fun to actually control the tank given given the way that that setup you just described works and it kind of just feels like the tank is at a weird disadvantage it doesn't very often feel like you get anything valuable out of using the tank instead of the helicopter which is a shame because i like this idea a lot i just wish it was implemented a little bit better yeah i i think it's yeah again a really neat idea but you know looking at the controller i feel like there's almost enough buttons to pull this off they really should have just mapped firing to the four face buttons and had each one fire in a different direction and then maybe map changing weapons and special weapons to L and R and maybe just get rid of the jump entirely. The jump just feels like it's there to give the tank something else to do. Like, I don't really feel like it adds anything. It's not like you can really, like, avoid enemy fire with the jump. It's literally just there to make it so that you have to get over obstacles that they placed in your path. Yeah, I'm not wild about that personally. And I think it's worth noting, honestly, that so there was a a sequel to this game made um, for home computers in 1997 that was called SWIV 3D. And that game more or less focused entirely on the helicopter. It did have levels where you use the tank, but those were kind of like a side thing, like a novelty, basically. It's a shame because I like this idea, but yeah, clearly they they didn't really have a great handle on something they would be really cool to use the tank for in in this case. Um, I think, you know, graphically the game looks all right. Um, You know, I I don't think it's anything stunning. It's got a look that definitely makes me think of PC games from back in this era. It does. It's got these kind of like sort of shiny, chunky sprites. Everything looks a little bit toy-like. And um, yeah, no, I, I, I like the way this looks, actually. I do want to correct a couple of things I said before, though. It turns out uh, SWIV actually stood for Special Weapons Interdiction Vehicle. Oh, yeah. Uh, I should have had these notes in front of me when uh, when I said this. Because uh, that's a word everybody's always using. Yeah, the uh, the original the original version of the game uh, was just called SWIV, and it was uh, uh, an Amiga and... Uh, Commodore 64 game, uh, it came out on basically all of those microcomputer platforms. So this game is pretty good. I feel like it's it's interesting. We didn't really talk about like the power up systems or anything, but they're pretty standard. They're pretty standard. There's, you know, various things that you can shoot 
that will give you like a screen clearing uh, attack drops and uh, upgrades to your weapon. There isn't really a ton else to it. Yeah, I think that if they had done the twin stick model similar to Smash TV for the tank, I think that would have been a huge improvement for this game. I also think that if they had given you the option to choose between the tank and the helicopter, because as it is, uh, if you're only playing one player, you are stuck with the tank. You can't play as the helicopter. Like, if you're playing two-player, the only way to swap is to literally swap controllers. So I mean, they, they do actually let you choose. Oh, they do? You can choose before you start the the game okay well my mistake then yeah so i was able to play when i played this as as you know one and then once i ran through my lives i restarted and played as the other and it's good that they let you do that i do think that it the the mechanism for doing that is not that clear so i'm not that surprised that you missed it ah okay all right gotcha okay well good to know that it's there then so I'm kind of looking, you know, like around the middle of the list, because I think this is a pretty middling game. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. I think that's fair. What do you think about a matchup between this and, say, Strike Gunner STG at number 61? Yeah, I think that's a good uh, that's a good matchup. So I think that Strike Gunner STG probably has somewhat stronger fundamentals than this. It doesn't really have anything that's as ill-considered as how the tank works in this game. I also think that this one is maybe a little more creative in its design than, than Strike Gunner. Where do you land on this? I've tended to be pretty... Pretty pro-Strike Gunner, I think. Yeah, because I, I do like just kind of how chill that game felt when I played it. Yeah, totally. You know, I definitely think that Firepower 2000 has a lot more going on, and the fact that it's co-op is a pretty big feather in its cap. I would say if you feel pretty strongly this goes above Strike Gunner STG, I don't have a problem with that, and we can kind of keep talking about you know what's above it. Yeah, I would say I, I do think this probably is is a game I would put above Strike Gunner STG. You know, I'm not sure how much how much above it. Well, we've got Phalanx right above it, which is another shooter. I'm already forgetting what was unique about Phalanx, other than the fact that, you know, it's got the banjo player on the cover. Phalanx is, you know, a, a game that I think has some some sort of muddled ideas about how its power-up system works. Uh, it's attractive, but I don't know that it's so so impressive visually or, or in terms of um, what it does with its graphics that I, I can really give that too many points for it. I'm kind of tempted to say it keeps going up. So above that, we've got True Golf Classics, Wildlife Country Club. This is a weird comparison here. I'm not really sure how to, how to do the comparison between these two. What if I said Lagoon right above it, I don't think is a better game than Firepower 2000. I, I think that that it makes it easy for us to kind of jump up a little bit there. Um, and then, you know, we've got another uh, True Golf Classics Pebble Beach above that. And then above that, we've got Arcana at number 56, or Arcana, which I think I've probably pronounced a different way every single time I've said that friggin' word. <laughs> Arcana is a competent but very, very bare-bones, unimpressive RPG that... I'm a little bit surprised is as high as it is right now, to be frank. It represents a type of game that we don't have a ton of on this list, honestly, mm-hmm. but being like a dungeon crawler. So it, it is unique in that sense, even though it's not particularly noteworthy in itself as a game. So I'd probably go up from there, honestly. Like, I think I would probably rather play Firepower 2000 than Arcana. I think I would say... Maybe this game stops at Krusty's Funhouse at number 55. I think Krusty's Funhouse is a more fun thing than Firepower 2000 is. I agree with that. Like, I think that Krusty's Funhouse, you know, being kind of a puzzle platformer and and sort of a weird, somewhat unusual spin on the Lemmings formula kind of cuts out a a little bit of a niche for itself. And, you know, in, in some ways, Firepower 2000 is trying to do the same thing. I don't think Firepower 2000, with its sort of asymmetrical co-op, is quite as successful at that as Krusty's Super Fun House is. Yeah, I think this will be our new number 56. So, hey, not bad. No, not bad at all. All right. Well, we got one more game to talk about today. It's kind of a special one. It's it's one that's a little bit more uh, internet famous than a lot of the stuff we've talked about on the show. Yeah, definitely uh, re- in recent memory, yeah. What is this game, Steampunk Blank? <laughs> this game is Captain Novalin. So, okay. 
I, I think before I even say what this game is, let, let's talk a little bit about um, the folks who, who made it. I'm, I'm not going to go too much into uh, Sculptured Software, who published this game. Sure. They were the uh, Salt Lake City-based studio that would become one of the studios acquired by Acclaim later on. We're going to talk a little bit about Reyes Systems, who developed the game. So to my knowledge, and, I, and I'm fairly certain that this is um, correct, Reya only ever released four games. This one, which is about a diabetic superhero. Uh, Rex Ronin, Experimental Surgeon, which is an anti-smoking game. Bronchi the Bronchiosaurus, which is a game about asthma. And Packy and Marlin, a game about a pair of diabetic elephants. So uh, if you're noticing a pattern here, uh, that's because Reya Systems was first and foremost a medical company of some kind. I think they made like medical devices back in the day. So that's what I remember from their website when I was kind of poking around out of curiosity back in college after learning about this game from Sean Baby's website, which I think is a big reason why this game is as internet famous as it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and as a result, this game has ended up on people's lists of the worst games ever made. And I am i will be honest, I don't think this is anywhere near one of the worst games ever made. It's not a good game. No, but, but anybody who says that about it, frankly, I think has not played that many games. Yeah, yeah. This game is, is nowhere near the bottom of of my personal list but it is very strange and it is not working towards the same ends as most of the games that anybody would ever play or talk about i was trying to verify what i remembered about Rea systems but unfortunately they do not have any sort of web presence anymore and according to giant bomb they claimed that their name was changed to the health hero network at some point went to that website and all that exists of that company is a very incomplete wordpress site featuring like lorem ipsum in certain sections and oh boy a stock image complete with an adobe watermark plastered across it so mm. <sighs> If I manage to find out any more about um, Reyes Systems and what became of them, you know, we'll talk about that later on because all four of the games that they released came out on the Super Nintendo. So we're going to talk about all of them eventually. This one might be the weirdest just because of its mascot, uh, the the titular Captain Novalin. Who is it's probably the least well-equipped superhero I've ever seen and definitely one who I think you would want to make any effort possible to not have to deal with the situation <laughs> he has to deal with in this game. He seems uniquely poorly suited to this this situation, honestly. Yeah, so the game opens with uh, Captain Novalin in his lair, walking on a treadmill, watching the news. It turns out that the mayor of... Um, I, I don't even remember if they gave the mayor a name or what the the town's name was the town's name is something it's not townsville which is the town from the powerpuff girls but it's something of that kind of you know it's it's like city place or or cityville or something yeah but the the mayor is being held hostage by aliens on top of mount way up there which is a name that they came up with because somebody in the office said, Oh, that's cute. Let's do that. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what they did. So let's talk a little bit about Captain Novalin himself. He's got a very large Sprite. First of all, like the Sprites in this game are a huge Sprite. Yeah. Very large. Um, you know, all the enemies are very large. He's large. He's pretty well detailed. His design is... It's its like the most generic superhero design. It's, it's a superhero you'd see on a, a, a box of of generic brand vitamins you know yes yeah exactly i mean like specifically in the 90s yeah yeah he has to fight aliens that are disguised as sugary snacks which um now because captain novelin is a diabetic this is a problem for him so th this game is primarily made to teach kids about diabetes so you know i want to assume some good intentions here and i do think that like in some ways there's there's some good stuff here there's some good information, but I think ultimately this game fails as an educational tool about as much as it fails as a game. As an educational tool, it's not very good because, you know, you're just kind of drip-fed little, you know, snippets about diabetes facts throughout the game. The game is pretty frustrating to play. So this game is a, a side-scrolling platform game. It is a platform game in that you have things you have to jump over 
it doesn't really have much in the way of obstacles to to clear apart from that. Basically, Captain Novelin walks from left to right across the screen through a variety of well, I say a variety of levels. There's really three or four levels. Yeah, there's only a handful reused a couple of times, and he has to either avoid or take down these very large enemy sprites that look like sort of nightmarishly anthropomorphic uh, sugary foods. There's a donut, there's a cookie, a cup of soda. Um, So this kind of devil horn thing that I think is supposed to be like a Twizzler or a licorice or something. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a, yeah, like a, like a cherry licorice sort of thing. Everything's huge though. And in such much the same way that like, um, I know that, that, you know, in, in talking about like Game Boy games, Jeremy Parrish has often lamented the fact that, uh, a lot of games that were like converted from home systems to the Game Boy, Game Boy have much too large of sprites because they're trying to retain some of the fidelity of, uh, home console games. But, but it makes everything too large to like really kind of maneuver on the screen effectively. And this is basically the same problem, but this is a console game. There is no reason for that here. Yeah. So there's some other weird quirks about this game. Um, you have to collect certain food items that are part of, you know, they're, they're supposed to be part of your, your meal plan. If you collect too many of those, you might end up, you know, like having to clear the level quickly or else you, I guess, have a, you go into a diabetic coma or so. I'm not sure. Um, if you get hit by too many enemies, you pass out and then you have to play the level over again. It's, uh, it's, it's very strange. Also, even the food that you have to collect are anthropomorphized, but they're just much smaller to, you know, make it more clear that those are pickups and not enemies. There's also like little Q and A games that you have to play near the end. Or actually, I think you can avoid them that you can play for extra points near the end of most stages. The icon for that is just a blue box that says BG on it, making me think that it was like a generic filler sprite that they forgot or just never bothered to create a better sprite for. You know, that's actually interesting because the version of the game that I played, so so basically the way this particular aspect of it works, uh, you know, at the beginning of each each stage, uh, there's a little red star that if you if you kind of pass over it, you get a fact about diabetes. And then at the end of the level, um, I, in the version I played, at least, there was actually a question mark that you you had to interact with that would bring up the Q and A question. That's right. There there are though like some kind of the, the the blue blue squares are like checkpoints in the level. That's right. That's right. But the the question mark boxes will ask you for uh, to answer a multiple choice question that is basically just testing whether you paid attention to the diabetes fact that was at the beginning of the level. doesn't feel very well put together i would say it's competent it's got a very elementary sort of philosophy to a 2d platformer because really what you're doing i mean first of all it's a, it's a ratchet scroller so you can't go backwards once you've once the screen is scrolled a certain way you can't scroll back the other direction kind of like the original super mario brothers you're typically only seeing one enemy at a time on the screen and kind of deciding how you're going to deal with it. Like the donuts just bounce up and down in a pretty set pattern. So you can either jump over them or you can use the stomp attack, which isn't easy to intuit how to work that. But basically whenever you're in the air, if you hold down on the D pad, Captain Novalin will stomp down and that will actually defeat enemies. Most of the time though, you can just avoid the enemies. You don't even really need to actually attack them. It's not like they're going to chase you or anything like that. Once they go past you, they're pretty much done. The next enemy that you encounter is a cookie that jumps higher when you do. That is a really tricky enemy to throw at the player so early in the game because you really need to handle it in a very specific way. You kind of need to jump while it's on the edge of the screen to get it to jump and then time your second jump just right so that you're on top of it and can stomp on it before, you know, it jumps back up to meet you in the air. That feels like something far too technically demanding for this game. Yeah, when considering that this game was probably for pretty small children learning about 
presumably a disease that they had that, that, you know, that this was made within an organization to sort of distribute out to children who were dealing with the disease. Um, I, I mean, it was released commercially as well, as far as I know, but I did see that, uh, there were, there were some listings on, uh, um, SBIR.gov kind of talking about grant money that the company had been awarded for making all of these games. You, you know, some of the money to, to finance these came from, um, uh, Department of Health and Human Services. So again, you know, I, I think that they worked with some hospitals and, and stuff like that to distribute these games, but, yeah, it, it, they're they're not very good game. It, it's it's not a very good game, and it's kind of too much of a. It, it relies, I think, we were talking about this before, and and you know, we kind of agreed that like it relies too much on actual like Twitch platforming skill for something that is primarily designed to to you know kind of educate and like reinforce lessons uh, about about diabetes that don't really have anything to do mechanically with the way this game works. Yeah. And I also think that this game doesn't do enough actual educating. You know, it gives you some really basic um, diabetes facts and things like that. There's one point in the game where you talk to a dock attendant right before the speedboat section. And oh boy, well, I'll talk about that in just a moment where the dock attendant tells you that it's important to wear, you know, sturdy shoes and socks, which is a specific, you know, um, concern for diabetics. Now, I kind of knew that that was a thing, but I don't entirely know why it is specifically important for diabetics. And I think that would have been a good opportunity to, you know, teach people a little bit more about the disease that they might not have known. And they don't do that. Like really the only interesting things I got out of this were seeing the logbook at the end of the first set of levels where, you know, they kind of lay out, you know, like, okay, this is what you ate. This is, you know, where your blood sugar was at, you know, at these different points throughout the day. And, you know, this, here's where you took the insulin. Kind of seeing like how a logbook like that would need to be laid out and, and formatted for somebody right, yeah. who, who needs to concern themselves with this. That was kind of interesting. It's not a very well-made game. It's, it's, it's a very, like I said, just very simple sort of game design uh, going on here. Having said all of that, I kind of had fun playing this game this past week. Yeah, actually, it's true. This game is not horrible to play as as a video game. I think the problem comes in when, like, you know, first of all, it, it's difficult to get a handle on because things like the stomp attack aren't just spelled out for you. You kind of need to figure that out on your own or, you know, find a fact or an instruction manual or whatever to know that. There are times when your movements have to be very, very precise. Like, it feels like the testing for this game was like, okay, is it possible to do this? Uh, yeah, I just did it. Okay, cool. Then that section's fine then. Like, especially in the speedboat levels where... You know, Captain Novalin's sprite wasn't big enough, apparently. Now he has to have a speedboat as well that also takes damage if you hit anything. Yeah, it is absolutely enormous. It, it, it is like a quarter of the screen at that point. At that point, you know, you have to jump over, like, very large bottles of soda that are flowing, floating in the water. Sometimes that are coming in pairs where you have to time your jump just precisely to land between them and then jump again to get out of the way before they hit you. I, I could never do it. I mean, luckily he has a pretty generous life bar, so it never really stopped me from completing the level, but it's, it's tough. I would take a hit every time one of those came up. This whole thing is, it, it is just weird. This is a weird product. It's weird that this came out. Understanding that this thing's primary use was presumably to like reinforce lessons that kids doctors had told them about what they need to do to manage their diabetes. It's, it's okay as that, but I, I don't feel like it seems tremendously thoughtfully put together or clever in the way it's doing any of that. It's better than you might expect it to be as a, as a video game. But yeah, yeah, I don't know that that stuff really kind of jibes the video game stuff kind of jibes that well with the educational message of the game. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like my enjoyment of the game and my ability to get to the final boss for the first time this past week, it has more to do with the fact that I've played this game before and I've already experienced it, you know, because I found it back in the day and was like, what even is this? And just, you know, had to seek it out and play it. You know, I, I think if I didn't have that experience, I'd have been very frustrated with it and probably wouldn't have gotten nearly as far or spent as much time with it as I did. And then the other thing is that my um, good intentions argument is somewhat tempered by the fact that we are talking about a company that's, you know, profiting off of medical devices. And yeah, I don't think, I mean, you know, regardless of how you feel about capitalism, okay, there goes the, the politics alarm again. <laughs> um, 
regardless of how you feel about that, medicine should not be a capitalistic endeavor. Like, the fact that it is is ghoulish, and that has got to stop. A hundred percent agreed. So I guess, I guess we should find a place for it on the list. Yep. I'm going to say something that might sound a little bit nuts here. I think this goes above Chuck Rock at number 87. <laughs> I feel like this is probably going to be, for me, uh, The Simpsons' Bart's Nightmare is probably the closest I would uh, I would get to this game. I, I don't think it goes above that, no. Probably above Chuck Rock. I don't know that I'd put it above Qbert 3 at 86 either, honestly. So maybe just above Chuck Rock. Yeah, maybe. Like... Like, Chuck Rock does seem like, mechanically, there's more going on there, so I probably shouldn't put it above that, but on the other hand, like, that game is just so unappealing. Captain Novalin has at least, like, the, look, if you haven't played this before, this is so weird, just check it out. I would be perfectly happy to put Captain Novalin above Chuck Rock, then make it our new number 87 game. I'll bet that's a good deal higher than most people would have expected for this one. That's the Snescapades difference. We we do what the other podcasts don't. Yeah. Also, um, it just auto-corrected to Novocaine in my uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> in my software here. So uh, Captain Novocaine is our new number eighty-seven. It's like he can take so many hits because he's completely numb to everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know what Novolin is. I, I I think it's like a brand name for insulin. I think it's a brand of insulin. Yeah. Which, you know, would also mean that, like, did they have, like, the okay of a pharmaceutical company for this? Because, like, that makes it even more kind of... Probably. That's even weirder, right? Yeah. Even... Yeah, no, brand name insulin seems like a bad thing. I'm just gonna say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, folks, I think that's going to do it for us for today. Yeah. Uh, wow. We we spent a lot more time talking about Captain Novelin than I thought we would, but it's just such a it's such a weird thing. It really is. So uh, I regret nothing. I feel good about all of it. So no, it's fine. So uh, we've got some real interesting stuff on the docket for next week, though. I'm real. I'm I'm pretty excited about this um, game that's near and dear to your heart. I know. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. That is uh, Spider Man and the X Men in Arcade's Revenge. Uh, we'll be talking about that one. We will be talking about Prince of Persia. Finally, the the actual Prince of Persia. We'll be talking about that. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Roadrunner's Death Valley Rally. It's our first uh, Looney Tunes game. Our first of many, I'm fairly certain. I think you're right, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm excited about all of those. I look forward to playing them and talking about them. And we hope that you will join us to listen along and find out where we put those on our list. Yep. So uh, thank you all so much for listening as always. And um, the police officers who killed Brianna Taylor should really be charged for murder, by the way, Um, that should really happen. Yep. Anyway, folks, we'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. I'm Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes.